1: And welcome to you in the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellato, and today we have another great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined by Dr. Ian Palmer, who released his latest book called The Shell Controversy. Now, this show is a treat because it is one of a two-part series, because when we started to interview Dr. Palmer, we realized very quickly that Dr. Palmer had a lot to say and actually took a look at shale, the formations, the active drilling. And was giving the pros and the cons on both sides. So if you are an environmentalist really not liking what's going on in the oil and gas sector, it's a show you don't want to miss. If you're in the oil and gas and you support what's happening here, it's a show you want to listen to. We get into some great details of the good and the bad. This will be the first part of a two-part series in which Dr. Palmer has graciously allowed us to have time to interview him on two shows. But before we bring him on, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine in which we were able to catch up with the newly elected Texas Railroad Commissioner, Jim Wright. Most people are not familiar with Jim because he kind of came out of nowhere and got himself elected. You definitely want to know all about Commissioner Wright, because he is the third Texas Railroad Commissioner, joining Commissioner Craddock and Commissioner Wayne Christian. For more information on his story and to look at all the other great stories that are in Shell Magazine, like a story we did on climate change, go visit shellmag.com. That is spelled S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And you can learn all about Commissioner Jim Wright. And of course, read on that article about climate change. And now it's time to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show.
2: Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas.
1: It sure is. We've got a lot of questions. Uh, One big news story of this past week was the Wall Street Journal's report that the CEOs of Chevron and Exxon Mobil had serious talks about the possible merger last year. While the idea ultimately didn't pan out, what did it say about these two giant companies that were even thinking about creating such a deal? And the other part is, would the government have let them come together as well?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, well, let's do the second part. First, I, you know, in, in a Trump administration, uh, might possibly have had the possibility of getting a merger like that done, Um, but I got to say that the market shares of those two companies uh, regionally, certainly in the Permian Basin and and some other parts of the country, is so big that uh, you do wonder that even in a Trump administration whether that would have succeeded or not. Certainly not in a Biden administration, uh, not in the oil and gas business. Uh, I think we can count on the Biden Justice Department to look askance at big mergers in the oil and gas business uh, over the next four years, although they will no doubt permit pretty much anything in their preferred industries, uh, in entertainment or media or, you know, wind and solar, uh, it'll be pretty much carte blanche. But uh, in the oil and gas business that they're trying, you know, doing everything they can to disadvantage, I think, uh, obviously, the opportunity would not have been there. Um, but, you know, what does it say about uh, that they're even thinking about that? Well, you know, it's, it's like all these other mergers that did take place. Uh, all the companies uh, in the United States and really across the globe are always looking for efficiencies that can be gained from economies of scale. And, mm. you know, you've got two companies with a total workforce that probably numbers 150,000 to 200,000 pe- 200, people. And if you were to merge them, um, you would no doubt be able to find opportunities to significantly cut the workforce, which of course is not a good thing for the workers. And then find other economies of scale where they have operations adjacent to each other, you know, that can be handled by the same field people, same pumpers, things like that.
1: You know, there's a lot of times the government has to approve when these, when, you know, large companies come together it's not good for the consumer and it starts becoming a problem. And so, I mean, these are two huge integrated oil and gas companies, uh, you
2: know. Right, they are. And, you know, it's kind of be kind of recombining two of the seven sisters and uh, of standard oil. And uh, it, uh, you know, just is probably not something that uh, under the antitrust laws that would pass scrutiny anyway.
1: Let's move on to Goldman Sachs. Now they're saying that the global crude oil demand will return to pre-COVID levels by August of this year. The firm is also projecting a $65 oil price for later this year. That outcome, I mean, it seems reasonable. No one is saying this, but all of a sudden they're saying it now. What's causing it?
2: Well, you know, actually, I I think it is reasonable. I think both projections are reasonable at this point. because it, for, for a lot of reasons, demand continues to, to come back very strong in Asia and in Europe, despite the restrictions that, that are ongoing in these countries. Demand for crude oil continues to go up and up and up mm-hmm. uh, here in the US. It's, it's on the same path and as you see states like California and New York and Chicago now and Illinois uh, talking about reopening their economies. Now that the election's over and Joe Biden is president, um, you know, uh, I think that Goldman Sachs and, and other analytical firms look at this and and, and see that that demand is going to continue to rise. And so that's going to put pressure on supply. And at the same time, we, you know, we're going to be in a situation for the next four years where um, the government is going to do what it can to to inhibit growth in our domestic industry and and growth in production in the United States and so it just is going to probably create a pretty rapidly now a rebalancing of the global markets and uh, so that you know that agitates for a stronger crude price not a hundred dollars or anything like that but I think $65 dollars for Brent and $60 for, for West Texas Intermediate, uh, which is what Goldman's projecting is is pretty reasonable. And uh, I suspect we may see it before uh, August. I think we may see $65 relatively soon, like in April or May. When wow, well, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna
1: keep that. I'm gonna keep that because you're making an earlier announcement. And you know what though, when you usually make a prediction, it usually comes true, especially when we talk about price of oil. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of operators Um, and service companies hoping that you're correct (laughs) They returns before then. What about, um, let's move on to natural gas prices. They've been on the rise again, too, reaching almost $3 per mm MMBTU now. Goldman also is projecting a strong gas price through the end of the year. So all those things being said, do you finally think that we are entering in a stronger long-term price picture where natural gas is concerned? Because it's relatively always been low.
2: Yeah, it's, it's been low for a decade now. Um,
1: you know, I, I think we
2: probably are. I, I mean, I think the days of $1.80 natural gas, uh, like we saw last August and September are, are probably behind us, at least uh, for the time being, mm-hmm. uh, and that we can, you know, kind of anticipate prices being more in the $3 to three fifty dollars range. We still have, you know, an amazing amount, just an incredible abundance of natural gas. In these shale plays in the United States, and with drilling levels being about half of what they were a year ago, uh, you know I, I think that supply is 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 probably going to remain fairly flat this year. So, with demand growing and it continues to grow, natural gas uh, can be used as feedstock in so many different processes and, and manufacture of so many different products. That demand is continuing to grow and. Um, So I think it just kind of gets us into a little stronger price picture, Mm -hmm. um, which is good news for for operators. And uh, it's not going to be so high that it dramatically impacts everybody's uh, utility bills here in Texas. And uh, so I think it's going to, you know, we're getting into a healthier situation for everyone uh, related to natural gas going forward.
1: So one last question, because you know, there's been a lot of discussion all over social media about the, you know, nonstop executive orders coming out of the Biden administration. <laughs> a lot of it is, you know, of course, geared at the oil and gas industry and federal lands. You know, Texas we're, we're kind of shielded from that, but. The, some of this global recovery that's occurring and have is it any way connected or related to it or is it just pre-covid and other countries opening up
2: Um just in terms of what higher gasoline prices or? and
1: more stability and yes yeah, oh yeah
2: efficiency. yeah uh, i think so um yeah i mean and it is going to be a more stable situation than we saw last year obviously you know covid comes along once um and yeah we're having these variations of it in various countries but uh you know, I think the the great global pandemic piece of this thing is probably uh, beginning to to run its course, and it'll be a you know an ongoing problem for years to come. Uh, just in terms of you know, kind of like the seasonal flu. Uh, yeah. You know, you're never. It's not going to be like polio where the vaccine gets rid of it entirely. It's it's going to be more of a seasonal issue going forward. So I, I, that does promote more stability in you know really the whole economy, but. In oil and gas markets for sure and um, as we you know we talked uh, with Fahad Nazar about a couple of weeks ago you have this uh, renewed stability in the OPEC plus agreement mm-hmm. and compliance with that by the member companies and so everything is becoming restabilized after a year of high volatility and that that's you know good for everybody frankly in the industry and consumers as well yeah Gas prices are a little higher than they were, but they're still not where they were two, three years ago, and uh, certainly not where they were five or six years ago, so uh, it's a perfectly sustainable situation in that regard for consumers.
1: Well, uh, you know, it's probably music to a lot of people's ears that feel like they have been in the whooping shed, if you will, for the last (laughs) year. (laughs) you might be able to come out. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this segment. But when we return from break, we are going to be joined by Dr. Ian Palmer, who recently wrote a book called Shell Controversy, an interview that you don't want to miss. You're listening to and the Little Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. Do you know what artificial
0: intelligence can do for your operation? It's probably time to find out. With AspenTech software, your business can harness the full power of AI to achieve new levels of performance. AspenTech's leading edge solutions are a critical part of the world's largest oil and gas, chemical, and engineering companies, helping them improve safety, sustainability, reliability. Drawing on decades of industry experience, AspenTech is using AI, machine learning, and predictive analytics to help companies digitally optimize the design, operation, and maintenance of their facilities. Find out how Aspentech can help you win tomorrow with the technology of today. Learn more at www.aspentech.com/AI. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com.
1: And now, David, it's time to welcome on our guests, Dr. Ian Palmer, PhD in physics. Dr. Palmer, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show.
3: Thank you. I'm honored to be here.
1: Dr. Palmer, before we get into, you just recently released a book called The Shell Controversy. And we're going to, you know, kind of get into the book and everything it's meaning. I want to give our listeners an opportunity to learn a little bit about your background, your education, your career, uh, in and out of the oil and gas industry.
3: <laughs> in and out. <laughs> That's a good word. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. was raised in Australia. Um, and uh, was a high school teacher for three years and decided that I wanted to do a PhD. And so I did a PhD in cosmic rays from the sun, of all things. Talk about far out and how they travel from the sun to the earth. And then then I got a job offer in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Ah. Spent one year here studying uh, satellite data, again, cosmic rays and energetic particles around the earth. And... um, but I couldn't stay there because I was an Australian citizen. And so um, i I moved on to university um, in uh, Tulsa Oral Roberts University and uh, worked fracking, got into fracking there and uh, built a model for hydraulic fracturing and then uh, eventually got a job with Amoco uh, in in research, r and d, and studying hydraulic fracturing. Um, I got into coal bed methane. Uh, because yeah. uh, Amoco kind of led the world in coal bed methane and studied well completions and even got into reservoirs, studied permeability. And um, um, they moved me to to Houston when BP took over Amoco, And I was there for three years studying sand production in wells. So another little diversity in my career, geomechanics. Huh. And uh, then I uh, retired and became a consultant with a geology partner. And we studied, we stayed in geomechanics and sand production mostly, and I retired uh, a, a few years ago now. And so uh, I thought, well, I've always wanted to write a book. So I started writing books, and I've written four books. And my late, last one is this the shale controversy. Um, I should have said that when I was consulting for several years, I did some modeling of uh, shale um, uh, fracking and, and in, in shale, shale oil and shale gas, and had some success there. So
2: that's it uh, dr. Palmer just so you know I at the time you were with Amoco and and in BP too, uh, developing the fruitland coal and other cold methane reservoirs I was with Burlington resources and uh, oh okay. yeah and, and dealt with many people from Amoco and BP and some of the best people I ever you know worked with in the industry were, were from yeah. those companies it's just a, yeah. a great organization yeah I, uh, and, and of course I've, I've read part of your book. I haven't had time to, to read the whole thing and, and a lot of the, the the reviews of it and 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 things that are out on the internet discussions about it. And I, I and it's very interesting to me because it tells both sides. It, it kind of tells the story from both perspectives of, of of the environmentalist community and perspectives of the oil industry and gives a very balanced look. So I, I, I think uh before we get into questions about it, I want to give you the opportunity to just lay out the the basic thesis uh, of the shale controversy that that you lay out in your book about all the things going on around shale development and hydraulic fracturing over the last 15 years.
3: Yes, um, I started out um, by um, um, giving talks about uh, fracking, fracking, and that expanded into earthquakes when Oklahoma got hit by the earthquakes. Sure. And I gave... uh, I think i've given 30 talks about that and out of that um i was invited to write kind of a memoir and so i started out with fracking and and i a, as you correctly said I, I i wanted to be balanced i wanted to present both sides and so um i i, I did that and um um and, and the pros and cons of fracking really and then um got into uh uh, the the um, global warming thing hit me that came up about that time and i thought um, why not extend this because that's controversial so and i didn't know that much about it but i thought well let me get into it let me look into global warming and find out as a physicist you know what 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 is involved here and the uh, and and i got really interested in that and again i I found pros and cons and so i thought okay i'll be i'll be fair and so i added that to my book and so the book started out as a book about fracking and lots of the early (laughs) chapters are about the pros and cons of fracking and then i thought i'll tack on you know uh, the section about global warming potential climate change and i sent it to my brother to review and he said, Ian, you've written two books. You've got <laughs> one on fracking and you've got one on global warming. And I realized he was right. And I thought, I don't want to write two books. I've, I've, I've worked so hard on this. I just wanted to stay in one book. So I thought, how can I present this? And then the topic came, the shale controversy. I can, I can put everything in one book under the, the, the heading of the shale controversy because everything in the book is con- controversial. And so that's how that happened.
1: So for every probably, I guess, negative, there's a positive. Uh, When we come back from break, we're going to start really getting into the book pertaining to what are those specifics. And I think the fact that we're going to talk about shales, the formation, uh, the hydraulic fracturing, and then also talk how the controversy on the environment, where are we at with climate change, and, and how hyped up is it really? I want to get into that, too. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to End Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor in the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O.
1: Hi, I'm Kim Bellato wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully as a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio cosmetic surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me pick up the phone call cynthia make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me so if you want a free consultation with cynthia give them a call at 210-641-4320 again the numbers 210-614-4320 or you can visit their website at Surgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim with In the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dr. Ian Palmer, author of the Shell Controversy book that is out now, a great book to get. David, I know you have a question for Dr. Palmer. Go ahead.
2: Yes, uh, and, and and of course, uh, Dr. Palmer, or Ian, you you asked us to call you Ian. Um, the title of the book is so perfect because, as 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 we all know here, sitting here, and we write about constantly in Shell Magazine, uh, there has been great controversy surrounding Shell development, hydraulic fracturing. Um, I was in the government affairs arena in the industry in my career, and. And in 2008, uh, we saw, you know, a, the 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 uh, environmentalist groups and the news media, and really even the entertainment industry mount this campaign, began mounting a campaign to essentially demonize hydraulic fracturing um, as as this evil force and pernicious threat to the environment, and uh, and so there's been a great, I mean, my gosh, we had episodes of almost every tv series on network television uh blaming fracking for for all manner of things but um, but as the, you know we've also had the development of the science around it where seismicity and and flaring and and all these controversial issues have developed around it so I, I just i wonder what you know made this particular moment in time uh in in your view the right time to publish this book it certainly seems like the right time to me to do something along these lines
3: yes i, I have hoped that and I'm, I'm well aware of the political situation now and uh, just a c- cute story when i as i when i was um soliciting for my talk on fracking and earthquakes that uh, um the response was often well a frack's couldn't good, good or bad and so uh, in dallas <laughs> where i did this Dental? they wanted me to say <laughs> Fracks are good, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I said, "Well, I said I present both sides of the story." Yeah. I went to uh, Durango, <laughs> Colorado, with you know a lot of environmental liberals there, and I said they I, they asked me the same question. I said, well, <laughs> they wanted me to say fracks are bad, <laughs> and so it 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 was very political, and um, and I I realized I needed to be careful, but I was honest. I'm a straight shooter, and I said, "Look, I want to present both sides of this." Okay, every aspect of it. So, for example, um, uh, contamination of uh, aquifers, okay? And, and and again, I was coming out of the shale, oil and gas, which has been a revolution In the last 20 years. I said, uh, shale fracks, they start deep. They're usually deeper than 5,000 feet. Aquifers are usually shallower than 1,000 feet. And I said, it's been proven that the fracks never grow up into those aquifers. Aquifers, okay, right. we've got measurements that prove that, and so I can say you know things like that. But then I can also admit that uh, sometimes the aquifers have been contaminated, and so what's that do? To? Well, it's uh, well construction. It's generally a poor cementing job. Okay, and 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 it's good for the press to point that out, and it's 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 sure, good sure. for oil companies to uh, be honest, to be transparent, uh, admit it, and fix it up promptly, and get mm-hmm. that fixed up. So right. that's, a, that's an example. So um, if you want another example, um, sure. uh, water usage, okay? Um, uh, fracks, um, um, these days, uh, typically the long horizontal wells and the high volume fracturing, um, it takes uh, 20 million gallons of water that's to right. frack right. one well. I mean, up to 40 times, 40 separate fracks along the well. Now, how much water is that? So I calculated that on a in a football stadium, if you take if you put if you can all that water to the grassed area, the water would rise 40 feet, 40 feet of water <laughs> over the grassed area. That's frack used in fracks in just one well. So if you have hundred wells, you've got hundred stadiums. And so this seems like an enormous amount of water. Okay, it's not not well understood. On the other hand, and if you're in a drought area, like we are in New Mexico, you really need to be thinking about that. You need to yeah. be making sure that information is out. You don't want to be competing with ranches and irrigation. And, and, right, or and, drinking water for the cities, yeah. Right, exactly. So, But on the other hand, um, in New Mexico, less than 1% of uh, water usage is fracking and drilling. Less than 1%. The, the, big, the big elephant is uh, irrigation. 770 percent right. exactly like but there's two sides to the story
1: and right. and dr Palmer, when we come back from break we're going to get back into the two sides of the story you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back
0: remember this name oil experts to locate any part anytime for your automotive or oil field equipment needs oil experts specialty is those hard to find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com.
1: we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show my co-host David Blackman and myself are being joined by dr. Palmer recent author of the shell controversy book David I know you have a question on flaring for dr. Palmer go ahead
2: yes and, and, and just so everyone knows like we haven't done this yet but dr. Palmer's book the shell controversy is available at amazon.com Barnes & Noble and I'm sure every other major bookseller it's easy to find and it's a really a great read uh, uh, Ian, the the issue of flaring of course in the Permian Basin has been a huge issue in Texas here, here over the last three or four years uh, as a great deal of the natural gas wells or the oil wells have been brought online haven't been hooked up until just recently to natural gas pipelines and so we've had a, a high volume of flared gas going on and, re, and really I think isn't that that issue has really kind of plagued the industry in every major shale play since since the Barnett Shell the, the the advent of the Barnett Shell began in 1979 isn't that correct? Yes. Yes, the the, um, um, the the Permian
3: and the Bakken in North Dakota are, 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 are the main problems now. Um, right. And um, it's um, the the bottom line is that we should we should control that because it's in everybody's interest to control flaring. For example, one percent of uh, U.S. shale gas production uh is, is flared okay one percent is lost yeah, it's yeah, wasted yeah. that amounts to two million dollars a day okay every day two million dollars are wasted on flaring and so um you know there's things we can do about that um, i mean in the permian they they lowered the flaring um, not too long ago by uh, installing a processor a gas processor and a pipeline and that made a huge difference okay um and there's new technologies there um for example, uh, um, uh, Edge LNG is a mm-hmm. truck that can come by and uh, they can, you know, uh, they yeah, can we wrote an convert article that, about them, yeah, convert issues, that yeah. gas into LNG and then they yeah. can truck it, you know, or whatever, whatever. And so, uh, now, how many trucks there are out there? I don't know. There's probably not, not, not enough, but I mean, and the last <laughs> thing I would say is that um, the World Bank um, set a goal of... Uh, reducing flaring to essentially zero by two, 2030. Okay, yeah. and and I'm checking the notes here because uh, uh, two companies um, joined that and it was uh, Shell and Occidental. Now that's 2030, so that's still 10 years away. And I think they could do that faster. In New Mexico, they've got meetings now going on in our portion of the Permian, which is the Delaware Basin. And then they're, they're aiming at 2026. and. Yeah. Uh, I I read about a lawyer that said, that's too long. We want it to be 2023. I think 2023 is too quick. I think they probably need six years to get a hold of this. But I I read, I should have said this at the start, but there were some bad numbers that came out of Texas, I think. Uh, uh, One was that um, uh, 5% of of, of the gas production was being flat, 5% of the gas of this one company. And in some wells, it was like 25%. I mean, that's enormous. That's Mm
0: -hmm. huge.
1: Well, Dr. Palmer, let me ask you, we had uh, the fallout from the uh, price uh, and demand crash in 2020 had big implications for the domestic shelf uh, businesses and the U.S. energy security. Talk to me about your views on how this impacts the industry and how they might um, recover from this, especially when we're talking about they're losing $2 million a day in flaring. I mean, right there is a uh, an excellent opportunity to figure something out and do and try something different but what can they do to recover and and have a better business model
3: yeah that's a complicated question i think because um, um, i think it partly depends on what your position is in regard to global war okay um, if if um, if companies um, um, don't really believe in global warming. And, and I've talked with engineer friends who, who don't, we've had some interesting discussions about that. Then um, then that kind of goes off the table, okay? Except that um, governments and, um, and big banks and things like that are putting it back on the table. So I think that the, the, the future is heading in that direction. Uh, on the other hand, um, production, Will be around um, of oil and gas, uh, oil and gas usage will be around um, uh, for decades. Okay, this this business of, um, of you know getting out of oil and gas by 2030 is is is, is nonsense, really. As, as Daniel Jurgen points out, right, right. So um, so we've got to get um, control of that, and and 2050 I think is a reasonable number for net zero. Um, carbon which means that you can still produce oil and gas Uh, BP um, in their aggressive uh, prediction uh, say that there'll be 40 percent I think it's 40 percent or maybe 35 percent of oil and gas in by 2050 still being used and consumed Uh, DNV GL predict 45 percent so somewhere around 40 percent I think We, we need to keep on developing oil and gas okay I'm not an economist so I can't um, really talk to the cost aspect of this. But but I think it's really important for people to understand, you know, and really, really grasp this, that oil and gas will be around um, uh, 2050. And, and uh, BP have already, they're, they're kind of leading the way, you know, in, in acknowledging climate change or global warming. They're saying we're going to cut oil and gas by 40%. By 2030, Okay, which is pretty, that's pretty wow. radical. And um, Occidental uh, are kind of even more radical. They're, 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 they're committed to reducing, to, to reaching net zero by two, carbon by two thousand emissions by 2050. But what's different is they will include their product. Uh, oil and gas industries are different, okay? We have our own, they have their own footprint, right? I mean, the engines and things that they, Okay, but but they also produce oil and gas that when burned goes to CO2. So methane leaks in pipelines and wells uh, make them different. And selling the product that is burned to CO2 makes oil and gas companies different, too. And so for for Occidental to come out and say, we'll cover uh, our product as well as our own footprint is astonishing. I mean, that's amazing. I think they're going to become a carbon management company. So so there's movement here. There's there's people who are leading. And there's people at the other, there's companies at the other end who uh, don't really want to acknowledge. Right, you
1: know, right, 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 right. When we get back from break, I want to get back on the topic of global warming, because I think we also have a discussion of here where we can talk. What is the perception in the community uh, at large? And are our elected officials um, creating more problems for uh, how we understand the path forward? You're listening to on the Will Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back.
4: Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find.
1: we're back you're listening to And the Old patch radio show i'm with my co-host david blackman editor of shell magazine we're being joined by dr palmer author of a recent book released the shell controversy and dr palmer i just want to make a statement about climate change uh, elected officials and energy companies and general perception and it seems like to me as a, a, a grandmother a person who's never worked in the energy industry, but yet to hear that there are so many people terrified out there. Parents do not know how to speak to their children on uh, what's happening with climate change. Elected officials are not helping the matter by we have 12 years left or we're going to perish, scaring the heck out of our children. And I just kind of wish that the rhetoric would slow down a bit because people are having a very hard time understanding this very, very, very complicated topic, oil and gas energy, and how it fits into the environment. So, David, I want to leave the last question to you because I do want to talk about the Paris Climate Accord. Go ahead, David.
2: Well, yes, uh, Ian, uh, the, the Paris Accords, of course, you discussed that in your book and, and the potential implications for the shale industry. I, it, It's such an interesting question to me. We, you know, Of course, I, I anticipate uh, incoming President Biden will pretty quickly moved to re-engage the United States in, in those Accords uh, that President Trump recently took us out of. Um, that's an interesting thing to me because the United States, you know, has really kind of been ahead of its goals that, that it would have been uh, tasked to try to meet under those Accords, uh, thanks in large part to the fact that we've replaced uh, such a, a huge amount of coal-based power generation in this country with natural gas power generation and and so i want to give you a chance to talk about that and and what you see as the implications for rejoining the paris accords are uh, for the shale business here in the united states and
3: i agree totally the shale gas revolution has been a phenomenal achievement okay as far as energy goes it it, it, it means that uh, cheap energy for cars and trucks and our homes, heating our homes. Um, and uh, and it also means we've become self-sufficient in oil and gas the first time since 1947. The shale revolution has done that as it got it from gas into oil. Um, I, I did a quick calculation and showed that we've saved $2.3 trillion since 2009 when when uh, when our imports started falling, so it's a phenomenal success, and um, it 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 seemed this this seems strange to um, oil and gas companies to be confronted by the radical movement on the other side. It's as if we've done this fantastic thing for the country and the world, really moving millions of do- people into the middle class by right. cheap ends. And, and yet now we're heavily heavily criticized for you know for producing oil and gas i mean it's a tough position for companies to be in what you said david is absolutely true uh, because of cheap gas because of shale gas success um, um, many many power stations have changed over from oil to gas and so gas has often been viewed as a a halfway house, a bridge to the future, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a good place to be. As a physicist, when I studied global warming, um, and I can say this quickly, that um, the um, CO2 concentration in the atmosphere is far higher than it's been in a million years. And if, if we accept the modeling of the global warming people, the temperature will be by 2100, if we do not abate, if we don't control the CO2, the temperature will be the highest it's been in a million years. So there's a risk here. There's, there's an uncertainty that, that the Earth may be entering a place it's never been before in a million years. And civilization's only been around for 10,000 years. So that's, that's one thing that I think is concerning. And I, I take it concerning enough to mean that we need to think about what we can do about this. So huge success on the one side, um, but now um, th- there, there are, I think, some good arguments that um, that this thing could be serious. And, and I think, you know, myself think that uh, as oil and gas companies need to sit up and really need to think about this. And that, that, that comes to education, Kim. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where uh, there's education uh, that's excessively negative on one side and and somehow or other the press and and people like your your radio station can put it in perspective and say that oil and gas will be needed through 2050 um, but we may need to develop carbon capture and storage to keep it at net zero it's like a counterweight okay to counterbalance that we may have to set up um a, hundreds of thousands of um, uh, underground uh, places to absorb the co2 install the co2
1: okay you know and
2: i wish we had another hour to talk about just that subject because texas is such a great and new yes. mexico too just yes. a prime opportunity for absolutely, CCS. absolutely. Yes.
1: and so uh, i want to you know coming from the outside looking in uh, ask you so we have carbon capture we're talking about and I don't think, I think all of us are environmentalists. We've heard you very clearly that we should be looking at greener ways of being able to produce this. It's a it, We need this uh, to sustain life, and our energy actually does clean the planet up to some degree, too. So it's a very tricky, slippery slope on how you look at it. But at the same time, you also have discussions going on between we need to go to solar and wind and other energy sources that are probably not really even a discussion long term in the way of this is probably not the solution either. But yet, you have elected officials that are basically pushing this. And it's I don't see where it's really truly helping the energy sector. And, and, And actually informing the public too on let's let's slow down and have a decent discussion on what the problems are, which are the scientists coming from both sides. And honestly, as a community person. I just want to hear the scientists, not the elected officials who have absolutely no education or background in this. And then they're scaring the general public where, where kids are committing suicide now. It's gotten completely out of control. And so um, I think we need to have a greater discussion, a larger discussion with th- Incredible scientists that actually have the ability to speak on this topic and uh, slow down the community's perception on what the solution is. Because if you ask anybody out there in the public, they're basically saying, shut off all the oil and gas pumps and just continue to push out solar and wind. And that's not going to work either. So since they're not seeing that happen... You know, children don't see their uh, see a future. Parents don't know how to explain this because they don't understand the topic themselves. And this is why we need to continue to have a discussion before we go to this crisis mode that we have to, you know, uh, shut everything off. Your book really does. This is also
2: why this interview was such a great service to to the listening audience.
1: Well, Dr. Palmer, your book, The Shell Controversy, is so interesting. And unfortunately, we have run out of time for this show. You will be joining us on our next show next weekend to finish the interview on the Shell Controversy, the recent book that you just released. Until next weekend, thank you for joining us on the show and we look forward to talking to you next weekend on the In the Oil Patch Radio Show.
0: In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Balato will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch we we'll